You're listening to episode number 88 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ is a company that can save you up to 33% on your life insurance just because you're a cyclist that takes your health seriously. Through the use of science, lifestyle quizzes, and even uploadable ride data, they can show underwriters that healthy people, like you, have a lower risk of cancer, diabetes, and all-cause mortality. Because you're one of those healthy people, that translates into a lower cost to you. Now to find out more and help support the show, head on over to healthiq.com slash tailwindcoaching for your free rate quote. And now, let's get on with the show for today. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. All right, welcome to episode number 88 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I'm your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about how much high-intensity training is too much. It's a question that I've gotten quite a bit here in the last couple of weeks, and I think it's something that we really need to talk about and really need to discuss in order for a lot of people to essentially figure out how they need to plan the rest of their season out. But first, a couple of quick pointers here. The website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, and my online training plan store, along with the episode show note receptacle, are available at tailwind-coaching.com. Now, to make sure you don't miss anything new, to get some training tips, some tricks, the occasional exclusive discount code delivered right into your inbox, you can head right on over to the Tailwind Coaching newsletter, and you can sign up for that at tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. If you want to get hold of me, you want to ask me questions, you have training questions, you can contact me at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can follow me on social media by heading on over to tailwind-coaching.com and look for the about option up in the menu on the top of the screen. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, head on over to iTunes and rate the podcast on iTunes. Every five-star rating that I get helps me move up those ranks and reach more people. The more people I reach, the more people get to enjoy riding their bike. And that's really what the Tailwind Coaching Podcast is all about. To get free advice out there and to get people out on the road and having fun. That's what it's for. And of course, if you want to give back a little bit to the podcast, consider doing your Amazon shopping through one of my affiliate links. You can find a link to that on any of my pages and podcast show notes. Costs you nothing, and it does help support some of the lower costs of the show with hosting, bandwidth, and all that kind of stuff. Those of you who know are longtime listeners to the podcast, I know you can take 10% off any of my training programs by using the code PODCAST10 at checkout. So, with all that out of the way, Let's get into how much high-intensity interval training is too much. Now, a little bit different podcast today because really I've had so many of these questions in the past couple of weeks that I think it's just a, a point of order to go over what makes high-intensity interval training such a great piece of equipment or a piece of training stimulus and what could be considered too much or what could do damage to your training regime by doing too much high-intensity work. First off, what is high-intensity interval training? Well, there is going to be a link 
to a previous podcast, which I did called uh, High Intensity Interval Training Part 1, The Science. All right. Uh, a great podcast, absolutely great podcast, which you can take a look at and you can go through and there's a lot of science in there. There's a lot of information about what does high intensity work do? What is HIT training good for? How does it work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'll summarize a little bit of it here for, you know, for your sake. And the cat wants to say hello as well. <laughs> Just a second. All right. Now that the cat has been vacated... What exactly is high-intensity interval training? Well, so that you guys have some background here, really quickly, high-intensity interval training is simply referred to as HIT training. Uh, generally consists of short bouts of high-intensity exercise. We're talking something like zone 4 plus or above. Generally, individual efforts are somewhere up to 8 minutes in length. Uh, can be anywhere from a few seconds to up to 8 minutes. And the work intervals are typically... Uh, repeated a number of times, uh, generally combining to something between 20 and 40 minutes of work per, uh, per interval session. Um, it was something that was started around the mid-90s when uh, the Tabata study showed that there were similar improvements in VO2 max with 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off intervals compared to a longer duration VO2 max interval, and that has sort of spiraled from there. Uh, leading to entireties of high-intensity interval training programs. Um, the big question here is, what is the benefit of high-intensity interval training versus regular aerobic training? Uh, if you look at the literature, you look at the science, you see things like increased plasma volume, mitochondrial density, muscle fiber strength, uh, slow-twitch muscle fiber hypertrophy, or... Uh, increased amount of the actual muscle fiber, which can utilize oxygen. You have increases in muscle capillarization, venous return, fast-twitch muscle hypertrophy, high-energy pathway improvements, lactate and lactate tolerance, not lactose intolerance, which almost slipped out there, increased neuromuscular power and neuromuscular fiber recruitment, and plenty of active, uh, adaptations which are stimulated through a number of biochemical pathways. The key point here is that for high-intensity training to be effective, you really have to stimulate a couple of different physiological pathways which you can read about or listen to in that high-intensity interval training one podcast. The point of a high-intensity training program, however, is simply to raise the ceiling of your fitness. Uh, again, which I've talked about in the past, is VO2 max is simply the maximal amount of oxygen that your body can take in and utilize for exercise. And yes, it certainly is partly genetically determined, right? However, most of us do not utilize the genetic limit of our VO2 max. Most of us actually only use a certain percentage of our VO2 max to perform some kind of aerobic exercise. So, for example, if we have a genetic theoretical VO2 max of 100 milliliters per kilogram per minute, which is absolutely astronomical, by the way. Greg LeMond was only in the lower 90s, if I remember my way back when science um, physiology classes correctly. A little tidbit for that as well. Most of us, if we're untrained, are only using maybe 50% of that 100 milliliters per kilogram per minute. 
or 50 ml per kg per minute. As we train, we utilize a greater percentage of that genetic gift that we have so that perhaps we're using 80 or 85% of that 100 ml per kilogram per minute, right? Threshold, our functional threshold power is simply a percent of that utilized VO2 max that we can continually produce power during and aerobically produce power during. So here's the idea. If we have a VO2 max power of 300 watts, all right, we figure that out from an eight-minute all-out test, and we're able to use 85% of our VO2 max for our threshold, our threshold's about 255 watts. Now, if we raise our VO2 max power, so our VO2 max threshold power to 325 watts, without changing a whole lot of anything, if we maintain that 85% you know, break point for our lactate threshold, for our functional threshold, we suddenly move from 255 watts to 275 watts, or at least we have the potential to do so. So the point being, instead of trying to utilize more of our potential VO2 max, go from 85% to 90%, we can simply raise the amount of VO2 max that we're utilizing, right? And again, this is theoretical, right? So don't sit there and go, whoa, if I have a VO2 max of 300 watts, then I should have an FTP of 200. Everybody's different, right? So that's simply an example. Now, an interesting point about high-intensity threshold or high-intensity training is that it is in some ways less stressful than aerobic training. It does not create the similar cortisol spike that you get out of regular aerobic training because it's a short-term exercise. It's less catabolic. It causes less impact on those anabolic processes, those muscle-building processes. And it creates less systemic inflammation because it's shorter duration. And so that, that inflammation is confined to the exercising tissues without spilling over into the systemic circulation, right? So very, very quickly, that is what High-intensity training is. That's the benefits of it, all right? What are some of the drawbacks of that high-intensity training? It's very metabolically taxing, so you need more rest. It comes That, that rest comes from the form of inter-interval rest or inter-workout rest. Um, aerobic adaptation can afford shorter rest periods and maintain a higher rate and adapt to VO2 max better. Uh, anaerobic adaptations require full rest periods and recharging of anaerobic work capacity, etc., etc. Um, you could be taking longer time off in between each workout, even though each workout is shorter. And it requires very, very high intensities, intensities that most people do not typically go to, mainly because they have no need for it. If you're listening to this, you're probably training specifically for something, so you do have a need for it. And, well, it's probably a little bit more comfortable for you because you've been there before. But the biggest problem and the point of today's podcast is indeed that high-intensity training is prone to the more-is-better pitfall, right? If I'm doing one day of this, and it's so good, I should be doing four days of this or five days of this. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it's a real easy way to end up overtrained. And the more training that you do in that high-intensity realm, the more potential you have to overtrain. So, because I've gotten this question so frequently in the last few weeks, I constantly get 
this. How much high intensity training can I do? And here's your answer. So the answer to the question, how much high intensity training is too much is very simply this. It depends on the person. Now, I know that's not a great answer. So let's get a little bit into what you can look at to determine how much high intensity interval training is too much for you. Number one, number one question that I ask any athlete that contacts me is, what does your base fitness look like? So that can be a bit of a tricky question, but athletes that have a significant base of fitness include core strength and stability, their fundamental cycling skills, or you know their, their pedal stroke capacity, and saddle time into determining how much high-intensity training they can perform. Now, why are all of these things really important? Well, it shouldn't come as any surprise that core strength and stability is critically important in a base training program. A lack of core strength or stability gives you or leaves you without a stable platform from which to pedal from. Now, that might not sound like that big of a deal. Well, why does it matter? I'm sitting on the bike. True, but no part of your body is actually completely independent of the part next to it. So just because you pedal with your legs does not necessarily mean that you forget about the stability that happens throughout your core, your hips, um, your upper body even. All right, how many times have you watched professional racing and you hear one of the announcers say they're getting tired, they're pedaling squares, you can see the upper body rocking. Anytime you have a failure of that core strength and stability subsystem, you don't have a solid base to actually push off from. And if you don't have that solid base for your legs to work from, you're simply going to be unable to provide quality work efforts. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be fast. Far from it. I mean, we've all seen cyclists that have some of the worst form you can imagine, but are still relatively strong and quick. The problem is that kind of power in an unstable form is not sustainable. That's the issue. So one of the questions I'm asking an athlete who's coming to me saying, you know, I've got a an event in a month and a half, how much intensity work can I be doing? I'm going to ask him, how is your stability? What kind of off season and, you know, during season, intra-season core stability and training do you have going on? Have you been handling fundamental cycling skills? Have you been practicing pedal stroke work on a regular basis? I've done a couple of podcasts about the importance of pedal stroke work, a couple of posts about that. Why is it important? It's important from an efficiency standpoint. The more interval work you're doing, the more efficient you need to be in order to recover from those intervals later on. The more energy you're wasting by being inefficient, the less return on investment you're going to have, the more intensity you're going to put into your body, the more fatigue you're going to get out of it with a limited return on investment. So, what does your fundamental skills look like? Have you been doing super spins? Have you been doing spin-up work? Have you been doing single leg drills? Have you been maintaining that efficient pedal stroke throughout your season? And of course, I'm going to find out what kind of saddle time do they have. 
is this somebody who started training or started cycling in January? As I'm doing this podcast, it's the middle of July. If I have somebody who's started, you know, riding a bike in January, the amount of high intensity work they're going to be able to perform, sustain and absorb is going to be significantly different from somebody who's been riding a bike for 10 years and has three months of solid, specific aerobic base training to build on, right? Those are all really, really important. And a lack of any of those base skills, let alone more than one of those basic skills, it will set the stage for burnout and injury really, really quickly. That burnout or injury will only be magnified as you continue to pile on more and more high-intensity training without sufficient base fitness. Now, you're listening to this and you're going, good Lord, I, <laughs> what if I haven't been doing a whole lot of either of those and I really need to get in shape for, you know, this event? Well, you're going to ask, which is the most important of those? It, that's not too hard to figure out. That's at least something I can, I can help you out with. Of any of those, I would say that core strength and stability are probably the most important. You can get away with a lack of saddle time. You can get away with a lack of fundamental cycling skills even. Depending on the length of your event and your goal, those could be almost negligible. However, if you're really, really poor in the core strength and stability department, good luck to you. It's going to be pretty tough to knock out a solid high-intensity program without sufficient core strength and stability, right? If you're trying to rank these and you're trying to get to some kind of event or point on the calendar, I would say before you undertake that, consider strength and stability, followed by those fundamentals, muscular endurance, the more muscular pedaling skills, efficiency skills, etc., and leave the saddle time last. I can really easily work with someone who's got a good strong core and a decent base of fundamentals, even if they don't have a ton of saddle time. And it's not really all that hard to do. However, you lack those basic skills, you're going to have some really, really tough times here. Now, when those are developed, I can really, really be comfortable prescribing up to three days a week of high-intensity interval training. However, that really needs to be short duration, all right? That, that, that needs to be a short period of time overall, and I'm not talking about the actual interval. I'm talking about that, that specific span of time. So, for example, if you have a well-developed core stability subsystem, you've done a ton of muscular endurance work, you have good neuromuscular skills, you have good uh, efficiency, you also have a fair amount of saddle time, for three to four weeks, I could say, yeah, go out there and knock out three days a week of high-intensity interval work. But don't do it for more than three or four weeks. Probably three weeks, really. And of course, those three days a week of workouts are really dependent on the next factor that you need to look at, and that's your recovery capacity. Now, recovery capacity can be a tricky thing. Older athletes have increased recovery demands, and they simply do not recover the same as a younger athlete, regardless of fitness. Now, if 
I'm recommending you three days a week of high intensity interval training. I'm assuming you have all those basic skills down. We next thing I'm going to do is look at your age. Older athletes, you might have to cut down that three day a week high intensity training plan a little bit. Even younger athletes, someone in their mid 30s who doesn't necessarily recover well, they don't sleep very well, they do a lot of traveling, um, they're in a very stressful job environment, um, they're going through a divorce, whatever the case may be, it may be necessary to limit that high intensity training time in order to ensure that you get proper and full recovery for your next session. If you go back to my high intensity interval training science podcast, you will see in there that high-intensity work is highly metabolically taxing. It requires additional rest compared to an equivalent training stress of aerobic conditioning, right? Remember I said the increased rest comes in the form of both inter-interval rest and inter-workout rest, right? And the goal of the workout, again, determines the inter-interval rest periods and overall inter-workout rest periods. So for somebody who is really stressed out, they have a really torqued up nervous system, their cortisol is high, they're not sleeping well. Yeah, if you have that three-day-a-week training program, you're going to find yourself tanking by week three. So you might need to consider, geez, I've, I really got to knock this down a little bit. I'm really feeling tired. I'm feeling cranky. Yeah, because you can't recover, right? Now, here's a little secret to dealing with this. If you have a power meter, you can get a huge, huge, huge grip on your recovery by simply observing your training stress balance, right? You can find that on your performance management chart. And there's, there is a podcast on the performance management chart on my website, which I will try to link in the show notes here. And you can take a look at that for a little bit more information. But observing training stress balance and seeing a consistently negative TSB or training stress balance that never recovers, despite the fact you're taking what you think is sufficient rest time, is not a good thing. All right. Yes, negative TSB is actually a way to stimulate your body into making an adaptation. That's true. However, consistently long-term negative TSB can actually lead to overtraining type syndromes. All right. You need the occasional forays into the positive TSB numbers in order to recover or just frankly even peak, right? How many times have I told you that maybe not you specifically, but how many times have I told an athlete who has emailed me looking for some information about how to peak or when they know they're going to be ready? And I've told them, look at your training stress balance numbers from your best performances. More often than not, they're going to be positive. And more often than not, repeating the actual series of events that gets you to that number will give you a good performance. All right? So, two things so far, base fitness and base skills, and two, recovery capacity. And if you're using a power meter, you're going to have a much better chance of figuring this out. The third one probably will seem like a no-brainer when I say it, but you would be surprised how often it gets overlooked. 
And before I get to that, we're going to do a quick word from my sponsors, Health IQ. I'll be right back to close this bad boy out. Hey, wouldn't it be great if somebody rewarded you for riding the bike? Well, you might not get a pro contract, but you can save up to 33% on your life insurance through Health IQ just by riding your bike. See, Health IQ knows the value of a healthy lifestyle, and they use specific science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, just like you. It's really, really easy to do, and I've done it myself. To see if you guys qualify for a lower rate like I did, all you have to do is upload your training data, upload your race results, or even just score elite on a Cycling IQ Lifestyle Quiz. They can even reduce your chances of getting dinged for a positive family history or a pre-existing condition if you are otherwise healthy. So if you really want to be rewarded for those hard miles, and I'm not talking about the top step of the podium, head on over to healthiq.com slash tailwindcoaching or mention Tailwind Coaching to an agent to get more information and to get a free rate quote. All right, as I said, this last segment, this last piece of the puzzle on how much high-intensity training is too much should seem like a no-brainer. But again, more often than not, I have people say, really? I never thought of that. All right, and that is simply which periodization block are you in? Now, that may not mean much to some of you. Let me put it a little bit differently. Are you in the base phase? Are you in the late base phase? Are you in the build phase? Late build? Are you in the peak phase? All right? Here's a secret for you. The base phase is really that. It's designed to build your cycling base, whether that is skills, neuromuscular skills, muscular endurance skills, strength and strength on the bike, whether it's force development, whether it's pedal stroke development, whether it's simply saddle time and creating sweet spot training adaptations or functional threshold adaptations by adding to your aerobic conditioning, base phase is for base work. All right? Now, high-intensity training even though it is generally the most beneficial during your build and peak phases, is not something to exclude during the base phase. You just have to be careful during the base phase of loading on too much because, again, go back to number one, without a sufficient base of fitness, it's very easy to overdo it, right? So many, many people, Zwift is a great tool for this, by the way, and a great reason for people to go way too hard, Zwift is the king of these short, high-intensity trainer sessions. It's hard to sit on a trainer, whether it's in your basement, whether it's doing Zwift, whether, whatever the case is, and pedal at sweet spot or lower for two hours. The tendency, and just, oh, I just want to get on there and knock out a 45-minute effort that gives me the same benefit as two hours of aerobic training and just Get the hell off the trainer, all right? That, that temptation is certainly there, and it's there 
all the time on the trainer, especially with something like Zwift. So you have to be careful that you're not putting up too much high intensity training without that base. So in the base phase, I would say one high intensity session per week. That's fair. Not only does it give you a change of pace and a little shot in the arm for your training stress score, but it keeps your body guessing. And it also helps to maintain that upper end of fitness that can so easily degrade when you do nothing but low intensity efforts. Remember, your body is a very simple creature. It will do what it does. It will be good at what you make it do. If all you do is ride at sweet spot for three months, your body will only be good at riding at sweet spot for three months. So throwing in some extra training stress in the form of a high intensity day per week during that base phase is going to keep your body fresh. It's going to keep it sharp. Now, moving on to the build phase. Build phase is an entirely different creature. The build phase is specifically designed to build fitness. And it's designed to build fitness in a very overloading kind of way. I mean, overloading, you want to take your body, you want to push it beyond what it's normally used to, and you want to force it to adapt. You can force it to adapt via volume or via intensity. This is where high-intensity work comes in. During the base phase, uh, you're doing one day a week. During the early build phase, you can bump that up to two days a week, provided you're able to recover properly from it. What happens is you get closer to your, to your event. What happens when you get closer to that peak phase? Well, in the late base phase, the last four weeks of a, uh, I'm scared, sorry, in the late build phase, the last four weeks of that build program, I will typically have people doing between two and three high intensity training days per week, depending on the intensity of the work. Right. If I have someone doing three days a week of Tabata type efforts and sprint type efforts, track sprints, track starts, things like that, I'll probably only keep them for two days of high intensity training. Those are really, really intense intervals. They require a lot of recovery. They're very, very tough on the body. Probably only two days. If we're merely talking about VO2 building, sure, you could probably get away with three days of high intensity work provided it's properly recovered. So late build phase, you kind of have to take a look at what your event goals are, what your A-level event is, what it requires, and adapt accordingly to that. In the peak phase, well, peak phase is all out the window. The idea of a peak is very simple. You want to give your body additional time to recover while basically giving it enough training stress to keep it sharp. The way you get extra recovery is to cut down on volume, the way you maintain training stress while cutting down on volume is to bump the intensity. The peak phase is the one time in your training program, I would say three days a week of high intensity work, super short, super hard, is a no-brainer. Maybe even more than that. It depends on the person. If you're the type of person that recovers quickly and you need to maintain that training stress balance, then you could do four days. You might even do four days and you might throw in a double here or there, right? All depends on the person. So what I've done with these three tools, looking at your base fitness, looking at your recovery capacity through your performance management chart with your power meter, 
and looking at what periodization block you are in or what training block you're in, now you can get an idea of how much high intensity work is correct for me. And of course, there's a no brainer too here. And this is, this is my constant, constant um, message to everybody. If you feel that you are overtraining, if you feel that you simply can't hit your numbers, you feel like shit when you go out there, you're tired, you're cranky, your family members are going, dude, what is wrong with you? Why are you so grumpy all the time? You're probably hitting it too hard. If you notice your sleep suffers, if you're suddenly irritable, you're hitting it too hard. Back off. The worst that happens from backing off of a high-intensity program is either you don't build fitness as fast, or God forbid, you lose a little bit of fitness. Fitness can be gained and lost. Almost it will. So don't be afraid to back down if you need to. All right. The biggest take home message I can give any of you who are questioning, geez, this is a lot of work. Am I, am I really in the right spot? Am I doing too much? All right. Think about this. A good barometer of doing too much high intensity training are things like cramping, bonking, prolonged muscle soreness, excessive fatigue, sleepless nights, restlessness, um, these are all things to consider that you could be doing too much. And just as an experiment, take a week and back down. And if those start to resolve, you're probably hitting it too hard and you need to evaluate again what you're doing. Right now, I know because I've been getting a lot of questions about this. I'm going to get more of them. Feel free to email me any questions, comments, or thoughts about this. Tailwind, uh, CoachRobDC at tailwind-coaching.com or CoachRobDC at gmail.com. Be glad to answer any of those for you. All right. So with those three tools, I want you to ride safe. I want you to ride happy. I want you to keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, stay fit, stay happy, stay fast. And I'll talk to you again really, really soon.